At the far end of the universe, there is a planet ruled by a being of utter evil. I wasn't a determined prophet! You see this board here? Every time he kills somebody, I put a red pin. So far, the only thing that I've got to show for these little call cards here, a whole bunch of these. Now let me tell you something about this Punisher. If he ever shows up within 1,000 yards of me, he'll find out what the word punished really means. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoid, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon, we're talking uh, Dolph's, uh, you know, deep... Rooted heritage, the Japanese, in our next episode. So join the sleaze. <laughs> we decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single uh, month, which we have been doing for over three years. There's something like 70-plus bonus episodes, as well as our bonus transmission series where we talk about new release genre films. Yeah. So there's lots of stuff available uh, for you guys. Again, patreon.com slash podcast if you're interested in that. Um, and speaking of which, we did have a lot of people make the jump this week, so we'll give them their awesome. shout-outs here. We have uh, Nunilo Cabe- Campbell, uh, we have Seb Dector, uh, Drew, uh, uh, and also Drew Mascarelli, so two Drews back-to-back, thank you both. Thank you, Drews. Uh, Jake, um, Jared Wimburn, Matthew Wood, uh, Vojtek Tulik. This is, we're going back to the Josh mispronounces your name, uh, <laughs> speed round, uh, <laughs> Justin Miller, James Wilson, Matt, Daniel, Tim C and Thomas Connolly, not bookshop. I don't know what that means, but thank you to all of you. <laughs> thank um, you very much. You guys, guys are enjoying all those bonus episodes. Uh, that's the one plug for the week. The other plug, um, as always is Apple podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple podcasts and I see the stats, I know that you are, I see you right now listening, scroll down to the very bottom and give us a good old rating and review down there. It helps yes, us uh, climb the ranks over at iTunes and find new listeners. Um, so those are the two plug. Oh, and the third plug merch. If you, uh, you know, <laughs> Kind, kind of newer. I guess I've been doing it for a while now. This intro has become a mouthful. Um, if you guys uh, like the horror uh, art that uh, local artist Trevor Henderson did for the show, uh, you can get that basically put on anything you want. Shirts, yeah. mugs, uh, pillows. pillows, notebooks, <laughs> whatever you can think of, you can probably find it in the merch shop. That is, uh, There's a link to that in the description down below as well as at sleezoidspodcast.com. And whew! All it. right, that's that's the intro. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, as always, uh, I am your host Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, is my co-host Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, two weeks ago, uh, you guys, free listeners, would have last heard from us, and we would have had special guest uh, Hessa, or maybe some of you know better on Twitter as Zero Suit Camus, and uh, she came on to talk about uh, psychic breakdowns on the streets of New York, uh, <laughs> one by Nicolas Cage, one by Harvey Keitel in the films Vampire's Kiss from 1988 and Bad Lieutenant from 1992. We 
we did a, a really long episode with Hesso. We had a great time uh, breaking yeah. down both of those iconic performances. Um, and we had an absolute blast doing that. So if you haven't heard that episode, again, that's uh, any podcast listener of choice. That was two weeks ago. Uh, but last week's episode, exclusive for the patrons, we went back uh, into the realm of um, screen and behind-the-screen auteur Sylvester Stallone. We talked about Rocky Three and Rocky Four, And I know some of you might have went, well, you guys just did Rocky and Rocky Two like, not that long ago. What's going on there? And uh, we finally have a little bit of an answer for you guys. We announced it on that episode. But... Uh, we are going to be doing something a little bit uh, different this month, and uh, we have a very special guest here joining us to partake in the first episode of what is going to be a, a themed month here. And uh, before we before we announce thing, I'm going to introduce him. Uh, we have a special guest. He is a uh, film writer and a. I don't. I don't know if you want to. I mean, you guys should be following him on Twitter because he makes very funny tweets that people sometimes get angry at. We have <laughs> that's uh, always fun. No, Ethan. never, never. That's never <laughs> happened before. <laughs> I, I'm a clean. I'm a clean comic. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, Ethan Vespi joining us. Ethan, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm. I'm very. Uh, I'm very happy to talk about uh, Gary Goddard, a ranking lieutenant in uh, Brian Singer's uh, Hollywood pedophile ring. <laughs> <laughs> we, that that is partially what we're going to be talking about. That is not the exactly why we month. brought you on. However, that, uh, yeah, that, that is the theme. Month. It's after dark, boys. Here we go. <laughs> we, we 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 do have a Discord channel called the After Dark, where they are always <laughs> hunting down the conspiracies for us. Um, so we are partially going to be talking about that. Uh, that this week but specifically i wanted to bring ethan on because ethan uh he is someone who like us i think uh you know he, he there's a, a lot of art out there that people dismiss and they kind of wave their hand at and we don't really like to do that here on the show and there's there's a particular actor that we're going to be talking about um this week that i thought ethan could uh lend lend his voice to a little bit here and uh speaking of which we have uh opened up brand new Sleezoids hotline. That's right. Uh, so far, so far, only one caller. Uh, yeah. Only one guy has the number. But yeah, it's exclusive people might get the number. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a phone line we leave open for him if he ever wants to talk to us. Um, but uh, we, we have a message on the phone line, so let's we're going to take a quick listen at that, and uh, that'll probably guide us into what we're going to be doing <laughs> this week and for the entirety of this month. So, uh, Jamie, let's do that. Hey. Josh and Jamie, this is your boy, wow. Fear. Yes. Uh, I just want to say Our I've boy. enjoyed uh, three years of your show. Congratulations. He's a big um, fan. What a know, nice we're man. We're just going to hang in there in these crazy times, work out, yes. stay strong, believe in ourselves, do positive affirmations about the future, and uh, everything's oh, yeah. going to be fine. So good luck with the future of your show. Um, and look... You better be listening to Sleezoids or I must break you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations and good luck. Thank you, Dolph. That's Thanks awesome. so much, friend of the pod. Uh, Dolph Lundgren for calling in. I'm definitely feeling like it's time for me to start working out, uh, yeah. having watched that uh, that message. The- the I must break you thing though sounds like targeted harassment to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if any if any of our listeners uh, were afraid by that part, feel free to you know message us and we will uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk you through it. Yeah. 
Um, but yes, that's what we're going to be talking about this month. We 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 asked Dolph if uh, you know if 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 he would uh, send you know if he'd if he'd call in because we were going to do an entire themed month of his films. We haven't talked about him yet on the show other than doing Rocky Four, right. which we just did uh, last week for the bonus listeners, which was you know one of his uh, his first major role, I guess, because be other than uh, his small little cameo in A View to Kill, he didn't really do anything else. But we are going to be talking about the man, the myth, uh, the legend, Dolph Lundgren with Ethan this week. So we are going to be starting with his first sort of major leading roles, uh, which kind of mixed results right off the start. But uh, yeah, <laughs> he, he, he only got uh, like right after Rocky Four. he even says he walked out of that theater Basically, he was a confirmed movie star and he was getting calls and he was getting deals for everything. So we're going to be talking about one of the first ones he did, Masters of the Universe, where he literally played the little He-Man toy from 1987, <laughs> as uh, Ethan already mentioned, uh, the directed power. by uh, other friend of the show, Gary Goddard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then we are going to be pairing that with... Um, one of his, uh, you know, just a couple years later, his his another attempt at a, at a leading role in kind of like a geek property uh, turned genre film. We're going to be talking about The Punisher from 1989, uh, directed by a le- legitimate legend of the show because he only made two movies and we've kind of, <laughs> you know, spoiler alert, kind of liked them both. Uh, Mark Goldblatt. Um, who uh, very famously was the editor on like some of just the greatest action movies of, of the 80s. He worked on Terminator. He worked on uh, Commando. He worked on uh, First Blood Part Two, Bad Boys 2, even a couple of Verhoeven films like Starship Troopers and Showgirls. So Oof. very excited to see what him and Dolph Lundgren can kind of get up together. And, uh, yeah, after that, we're going to be doing an entire month kind of going a little bit chronologically from his late 80s leading roles to, you know, eventually his TV movie and direct-to-video era by the end that kind of got started in the late 90s. So that being said, I I think we are just going to uh, jump right into it this week. Uh, Masters of the Universe. distant galaxy, they have come to Earth. Dolph Lundgren as He-Man, Frank Langella as Skeletor. Only they have the powers to be. Masters of the Universe, live the adventure. All right, we are talking uh, Masters of the Universe, the 1987 American science fiction fantasy action film directed by uh, Gary Goddard and also you know as we've mentioned them tons of times on the show produced by Yoram Klobus and uh, Manaheim Golan the uh, heads of Canon Films we are you know because of the show we have tackled a, a large portion of the Canon catalog yeah. but we, we, we haven't yet I don't think because we talked about Cyborg which was kind of like a little bit post bankruptcy with Albert Pyun we haven't talked about like the peak movies that actually led them into bankruptcy 
which is very exciting because that's exactly <laughs> what we're talking about today. Uh, basically, one of the movies that destroyed them when they started, you know, when, when they shifted from the canon era of, you know, making 30 films for $20 million and waiting to see which one of them became a success and then franchising from there. Uh, when they started trying to get into the major studio game. And, you know, nothing says that more than Masters of the Universe giant, uh, you know, toy-slash-cartoon <laughs> brand. And they spent, like, $25 million or something on this movie. Yeah. Um, so and they did not they, make the money back. No, and, and I think before it came out, I, I, I think this was the one that they pitched as. This was Star Wars... Uh, for the eighties, Conan. Oh, okay, yeah. No, they literally said that it was just this was the new Star Wars. That was it. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there's some stuff that I feel like they're like directly like shots. They're directly ripping off from Star Wars, uh, such yes. as a Skeletor walking in front of the his his little henchman feels exactly like Darth Vader uh, in front of the bounty hunters in Empire Strikes Back, and mm-hmm. uh, also I'll just say <laughs> right. someone getting tossed down a. Uh, Tossed down a, a shoot at the end is exactly like the Emperor falling to his death <laughs> yeah, in uh, yeah. Return of the Jedi. All of all of the uh, soldiers, which are instead of like white stormtroopers, they're in all black and they all have like Darth Vader helmets uh, um, with their blasters and, and stuff too. And just having blasters in He Man. I mean, I I I have I never watched He Man. Did anyone? Did you, did you watch He Man? Uh, he Man's no, past our time. I feel like it was a little, yeah, before my time. I, I, my, I think my, my, my chief association with He Man is the viral uh, He Man share, <laughs> hey hey video from yeah, like yeah. ten, eleven years ago. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, yeah, so I, I, do I, know I, 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 I won't. I don't think anyone here will be critiquing it based on its faithfulness uh, to the toy catalog. <laughs> no, I think what He Man was supposed to be is essentially just that, like. Uh, that kind of medieval fantasy thing like Conan, but then with laser swords and laser guns and, and all that. So it's like sci-fi mixed with kind of like barbarian stuff. Um, yeah. Which, which, which it was, it's funny. Cause we've talked about that before and it's been done like not terribly before yeah, we talked uh, yeah. Krull, which right, was, uh, right, you know, right. say, say, say what you will about some of the elements of Krull, you know, it's, it's fairly handsomely made film by, by Peter Yates. And mm-hmm. uh, I think Shishitsky, um, shot that film and there's some really cool you know merging of science fiction and and fantasy sequences like like the in in crawl they have like the giant head spaceship where they're like inside the mouth and the eyes and stuff that they like stole straight from like zardoz or something like that um but i guess what we're saying here is that this is the canon version of that that was a very expensively made film canon you know this is expensive for them but you know they are doing some of the you know sort of like the 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 chintzy workarounds that they typically do i mean i noticed right off the start in here they 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 have like a a mirrored reverse shot uh in like the first like three minutes of the movie it's just like a huge matte painting shot of all like the creatures walking towards castle grayskull and Mm -hmm. you see it as like the introductory shot where the people are walking towards it as Skeletor is holding like his big uh, monologue meeting about how, you know, he's in control and power now and whatever. And then they cut later uh, to it, like not even probably like two and a half minutes when he man and his team is like outside the castle. And it's literally just the exact same shot, but flipped. Right. 
nothing different about it. And like, that's the kind of thing that Canon would, would do to save money. Cause you know, it's another matte painting they don't have to do. It's another, you know, yeah. it's another, another thing. So there, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that went on in the making of, of Canon and especially around this time. And don't they, forget there's a great uh, action sequence set in a high school gymnasium. <laughs> Well, that's the amazing thing that we'll definitely get to. But this is of that era where, like, you know, they spent all their money on the fantasy set pieces in, like, the first 15 minutes. (laughs) And then they have everyone go to Earth because they couldn't afford more, which we were just talking about when we did uh, Albert Pyun's Doll Man recently. Which has, like, this great premise of, like, like an alien Dirty Harry uh you know comes to earth and he's a he's when he comes to earth he's a tiny little man uh but as, as soon seem, as he hits as soon did, as he hits earth it's just like you know kind of like a really shitty like death wish sequel well did yeah. you did you also did, did you also think with this partly setting it in suburban california was them trying to get out a bit of a a spielberg thing a little bit and a little bit like back to the future with the way that it kind of ended a little bit too, where they kind of like, they actually like fix the stuff with her parents and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's going for, I think broad like ability. You can tell that the Canon guys who, you know, have been so used to being in the schlock game that they, they started getting bigger budgets and they wanted to do these, you know, big, broad, likable films. And they wanted to do a hit Warner brothers kids film. You know, they wanted to do something like that because they were like, you know what? Giving Toby Hooper free reign didn't make us money, even though the films were great. Like <laughs> yeah. we talked about Life Force and uh, Texas Chainsaw 2, you know, um, just like probably like a year ago and uh, how Canon had a relationship with him and just kind of let him go crazy. And it didn't work out for them. So now they were like, OK, well, now we need a Star Wars. I mean, this literally followed them making uh, Superman 4, right? Quest for yeah, Quest same for Peace. Year. Same, same summer. I think they came out within weeks of each other. To, oh, my to God. I was a and dad, had, too, right? Both huge uh, Yeah, and also uh, uh, just a few months, if I'm correct, after uh, G- Godard's King Lear premiered at Cannes. So they had uh, this was a wild few months for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cannon was really trying to get. Uh, you know, they were trying to expand, and it, it didn't. It didn't quite work for them. Um, you know, partially because you know they a lot of the stuff that went well for them, it was just kind of letting a crazy filmmaker go loose with a small budget. And uh, now trying to participate in the derivative, you know, we need to hit the beats and we need to make it on about a toy brand and it needs to be, you know, it needs to have a little bit of Spielberg and it needs to have a little bit of Lucas and, you know, uh, many a myriad of other things. I mean, obviously Dolph Lundgren was cast in the film uh, partially because they looked at him and they were kind of like, yeah, we can get that kind of uh, that Arnold Conan quality, which we liked. Yeah. Um, which they also tried to go for a little bit in Beastmaster to uh, results that didn't really work. But at least Beastmaster had like rip torn sacrificing babies in, <laughs> on temples and stuff like this. This this, unfortunately, you can tell was canon really trying to go for a kid's film um, and, and I'll right, say right down to the action. I'll say it felt great as a 29 year old to sit down and take notes while watching this. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I will say normally my notes are a little bit longer than what we're going to be talking about today because I, uh, you know, weirdly enough, despite the fact that, you know, this was Dolph's first leading role, it is still, you know, broadly one of the films that he is very well known for. It's it's kind of unfortunate for him. It's a weird place to start because it's a really important film in the Dolph catalog being his first, you know, really massive leading role. And I also it's find not he a, takes it's not a, a cheap seat. movie. 
Yeah, well, and, you know, it's just one of those things where it's just, it's, you know, probably among my least favorite, like, Dolph performances and and movies, kind of, un- unfortunately, because they really didn't know what to do with him. They kind of hired him once again because they, we, we talked about when we did the Conan episode, but Arnold was partially cast just because he looked, he had the physique of a guy who came out of, you know, one of those crazy fantasy paintings. Right. And uh, you can tell that they kind of did the same thing for Dolph, even though Dolph, you know, isn't quite as big, but they just had him, you know, he, he looked like an action figure. They were like, there you go. He looks like the toy. We we can, you know, put him in the, in the outfit and he looks good. And that's all we really need to do with him. And <laughs> if you watch the documentary on Canon uh, Electric Boogaloo, it's think it was called you can tell that you know everyone who was interviewed on the making of that movie was basically like yeah we didn't really know what we were doing you know they (laughs) they they spent most of the money on the really big gray skull set which at Uh, the time was like one of the biggest sets i was literally gonna say that because it seems like that's where the majority of of it went because there's there's not even i don't like uh have a strong memory of any other set besides that that one in gray skull um, well, mo- the rest of it is like alleys in right. California yeah. or like uh, exactly. the, one of the big set pieces takes place in a in a music store. Well, I mean, <laughs> right. it, 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 if they made this today, I mean, which like I mean, they wouldn't just cast like, you know, a bodybuilder who can't speak English. They'd I mean, which <laughs> and, and which which Thursday night NBC sitcom star do you think they would cast as Hitman? Uh, He-Man? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I they would be like, Joel, we, we, guess, we need, we need James Corden to uh, get on steroids. I guess, uh, I guess, I guess uh, Joel I'd McHale was kind of, Joel McHale was kind of ripped. They could have gotten him. He's the, the, you know, best of both Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's definitely what they would do. Well, and one thing watching this that I noted too, is that how many of these beats are kind of what movies are still today in a lot of different ways. For like sure. it's, it's a lot of like that, that opening fantasy element where it gets a little crazy and then the big villain you know he's after some sort of device and then the heroes like escape with the device and there's the big push in on franklin jella as skeletor being like no you must find them and then he sends out a bunch of various henchmen to go and retrieve the device from them and i was just thinking that like this is like you know every time marvel has tried to do like a sci-fi superhero thing it's always resembled this kind of thing beat for beat, especially with well, them would, like, going to earth and everything too. There would be more of Courtney Cox's character going, um, okay. When like, <laughs> I don't know, he man says something uh, about his sword or whatever. Yeah. Right, this was pretty right. much Thor. Like it's, it's kind of what <laughs> the storyline in Thor is. Uh, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I think, um, I mean, there's some decently impressive parts that I like. I like the part where Skeletor is is kind of like uh, a giant head in a like a it's like holographic or something, and he's he's kind of announcing to the entire world that he's taking over it and all that kind of stuff. Some of those fantasy elements I thought were good, but the thing is, like the, the obvious comparison I think is um, Conan the Barbarian and Flash Gordon, and I think why those work so well is because they they focus on the um, on the place that these people are from or at the very least with Flash Gordon he goes from Earth to a 
uh, uh, space setting. So you have all these different planets and ecosystems and people, and it's just more interesting. I, I found it as soon as they went to Earth, I was kind of disappointed because I wanted to dive in more into like the the gray skull setting and and uh, just just more things like that. I just find it more interesting in these fantasy. Well, movies. and not not to mention s- same within Flash Gordon where they got you know a sort of a classically trained actor to play this you know goofy villain where they got Max yeah. von Sydow in that. <laughs> Frank Langella is the one going the hardest in this movie. Oh, he's going else. hard. Yeah. I, I thought the whole like kind of banging of his staff thing had extreme uh, theater kid energy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah, you could you, you could you can tell that he's you know he's he's a trained actor and the way that he goes, I mean like he gives all kinds of uh, big monologues where he's like madness and my destitution and shame and <laughs> scorn and yeah you know it's 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 very you, you can tell that you know he was like the actor on set who was doing something so they just pointed the cameras at him and they were like <laughs> all right got to say though he's the he only goes. one with like a close up monologue and there's a his a, a, a couple I got to say them. though his I got to say though his mask looks like shit it's awful it's yeah. so bad it, it's literally a halloween mask that's been glued onto his face that's kind of the problem with some of his close ups cuz once again he's the only <laughs> one with like important monologues but they do the close ups on him and he has the makeup and uh, like from afar it's not too bad i think it's kind of cool but as soon as they start zooming into his face you're like oh i literally see the mask like falling off of your lip and shit like that so yeah that, that's just that canon thing it's just you know they 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 cut it, where they chose to cut corners for budget is always just very strange uh sometimes but it's because they just shouldn't have been making movies of you know this size you know kind of like in, <laughs> yeah. in 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 the in the first place and uh you know th- i don't know i i would say that some of the costuming like isn't terrible like some of like the some of his I think um, Dolph looks good some of some of his some of his henchmen and stuff like that, you know, aren't aren't like terribly designed or anything. But the whole everything that's surrounding them is just so kind of like lazily derivative. Um, and like well, Courtney I, I and her boyfriend's character. Yeah, that guy. He had real. Uh, his name's Kevin Corrigan, by the way. The character, at least. Right. Kevin. Oh, thank you. Uh, same, yeah. same I, I might the, have needed uh, that. <laughs> same. Same as the uh, the uh, star of Grounded for Life. Um, but, but, uh, yeah. And he had real Chris Mulkey vibes I found. Uh, but Mm. I, I will say on the, on the, the note of, uh, the armor looking cheap, but it is sort of interesting when stuff like this sort of, it looks heavy. Like you can tell everyone looks visibly uncomfortable wearing it. And then also there's so many scenes that are just in broad daylight where they're just, you know, kind of skulking around and it's like, wow, you're really willing to just let this look like shit. (laughs) Like completely out of place, yeah. There yeah. are a lot of those those images. Yeah, and 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 the 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 broad sort of like for anyone who hasn't seen Masters of the Universe, <laughs> the very broad uh, story here is that there's this little creature named Gwildor, oh who is some 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 small little locksmith slash inventor who has made this thing called like the Cosmic Key. Which is like a some sort of gravitational teleportation uh, device, yeah. And the guy the Skeletor wants to get it, or he has one already. 
I, I was a little confused about this. He wants to get it. I think he has a bunch of them, and this is the last one that he needs to like have the full power or something like that. Right. So no one no one can use it against him or anything like that. And, they, right. and you know, so some and so they they do a little bit of like the matte painting fantasy elements, like a little bit in crawl. Um, nothing quite as interesting as like the full like almost like Lord of the Rings thing they did in that film with like the Spider Queen and stuff like that. I'm, yeah, I was really swamp. surprised they didn't. Yeah. I was really surprised they didn't go. You know, like quite that that far with it the closest this gets to like a swamp is like when they land on earth and Gwildor's like shooting water out of his ears and he's supposed to be like a goofy character for kids or whatever but right. apparently there was just no good reaction from anyone to this film uh, <laughs> apparently at test screenings kids found the movie kind of like scary or like overly violent a little <laughs> bit like kind of like done in that kind of like canon uh, way where they're doing like full shootout set pieces and stuff like that, but right. like they're doing them in in real settings. It's not in like that Star Wars way. Yeah. Um, and then obviously adults just thought that this was just awful. Too silly. Um, yeah. Do you think any like just like twenty year olds on a date went to see this when it came out? I th- oh, definitely. I can't imagine what that would have been like. <laughs> I feel must like have been just a very deflating experience. Yeah. I mean, also, can you? I was just going to say well, that I, I did read that there was a cult following now, and I was curious as to when that started. I wonder, like, when that picked up, when people started. When, to, has when, has, that has when, to be, like, a Gen Xer thing. When yeah, the children, maybe. when the, all the children turned 40 in their midlife crisis started. <laughs> the cult formed, and they started doing their, you know, YouTube videos of them doing soy face and wearing the like, man shirt and like <laughs> talking about how it's cuckoo banana nuts or whatever. Yeah. Like I have the power. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like literally this entire movie is they escape with the teleportation device to earth and then a bunch of the Earth characters are like, whoa, isn't it weird that there's like fantasy stuff going on? Crazy. Yeah. Um, and Skeletor just trying to get it back and eventually like coming to Earth and trying to like capture, you know, He-Man and his crew and, and everything like that. Um, and yeah, it, it does feel like this, like they spent all of the money on that big set. And then they spend like literally an hour and 20 minutes of this film hanging out in like dingy L.A. apartments and like alleys. Yeah. Um, And and another thing I find confusing is it seems to want to focus on uh, Courtney Cox as like the, you know, the the waitress that's kind of down on her luck and she gets in this wacky adventure and and all that. She's also an orphan whose parents died in a plane crash and her boyfriend tried to tries to reassure her in the weirdest way possible, which was like. Oh, you yeah. know, planes crash. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he's not. Yeah, he was not the most comforting person in that scene. They they visit uh, her parents' grave, and it, it and it's just like the boyfriend does not seem like the best uh, the best talker. <laughs> but, no, and he's a, he he's a musician who uh, he's the one who gets the device, and he's he's intrigued by how it opens up portals via melodies. tones and keys and songs. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I find it weird Which, though, that we focus on Courtney for so long. And then by the end of the, like the last half of the movie, she's just asleep and like knocked out. And he like Kevin ends up doing all of the work. And it's just strange because they set it up through the script. Like she's going to be more of the like her earth protagonist. And then she just takes a total backseat. Um, well, well do, I, do, do and, you think it's, yeah. it, don't you think it's interesting she doesn't really have a romance with He-Man either? Like, if it were made to yeah. today, she would be the He-Man love interest, but I feel like they weren't confident enough in, like, 
Dolph's English that they didn't and really Dolph. want to give him a lo- <laughs> yeah they didn't they didn't want to give him a love interest. Yeah, I could I can see that too. Well, the the whole film feels like that they they have taken away a lot that Dolph should be doing because of their lack of faith in him. And that's just the feeling I got. I like it, it's there's there's so f- there's honestly a like very few scenes of him really doing much, and um, it's strange. I, I didn't expect that. No, all all the lines are given to the Earth characters, or a lot of them are given to. Uh, like like his team, which is right, just like a yeah. uh, generic soldier guy and then generic soldier guy's daughter, who yeah. her big moment is becoming generic soldier girl. <laughs> uh, in, in, in a really great moment where she literally looks at the camera and is just like, uh, yeah, that's right. You need a woman's touch in this fight scene. Right. Yeah. Uh, which is at the big music store shootout, which is just, uh, I don't think that there's a single set piece in this that kind of like registered for me, weirdly enough. Um, I was, I was kind of hoping there would be something that kind of worked, but as Ethan said, like, again, it's a music store and like a gymnasium and like the aliens crash and they, they like, they throw a janitor around a little bit. Yeah. Um, there, there, there's a little bit where he gets into like a sword fight in like an alley with some of them. Uh, with some of like the, the 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 creature characters, I can't remember their <laughs> their names, but there's like four of them, and they're just Skeletor's underlings, um, the, the 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 underlings that are not Evil Lynn, which she, her name is just Evelyn, but they call her Eve Evelyn. Oh, I didn't even realize yeah. that until right now. You just said that. <laughs> yeah, and I I, 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 well, I at first I was like, are they just mispronouncing this? And then I I did I should have looked it up. Maybe the character in the show is just called Evil Lynn. I don't know. But yeah, yeah that's what they just say the entire time. And uh, I didn't mind yep. the uh, when like the portal opens and they start to come to Earth. There's like this big red portal that opens, and then they're they're on like th- some of them are kind of uh, flying on these hover boards, like hover skateboards almost, in order to get them. Mm. Like there's a couple little small campy things. It's just never enough to really be all that exciting or intriguing. Um, I, I mm-hmm. feel like there should have been a moment with Dolph riding that hoverboard or whatever, where he's like. It is yeah. Swedish accent, like we or whatever. I don't know. Like, <laughs> even you in think like, there would be that? Yeah, even in like Flash Gordon, they get to that point where he's riding that flying skidoo, basically in space. <laughs> like it needed something like that. I feel like. Yeah, because they they do do the bit where he's he at some point he gets on one of their hover bikes and he starts like chasing them around. But it's so very clear that he's been comped into frames that he's not a part of. So Dolph wasn't even like given the chance to like act against anything. Yeah. Like it was, it was this weird thing where like you see him comped in like flying around on the streets and then you see all the other actors in the shot that they actually shot on location, like pointing at him and being like, Hey, is he man? Do we know if, if this is he's like a Dolph around. project that he wanted to be a part of, or was this more like we're going to pay you a shit ton of money and this is the big thing that's going to break you out? Was this something? I, I know. Sorry, I know at least that Dolph's has spoken very poorly of this film since okay. and that when the sequel was announced. I think before this came out, obviously, <laughs> uh, he he was going to be replaced by like a professional surfer or something. Okay, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's one thing you know, like uh, about this is that I I wouldn't, you know, people I think use this film to kind of you know 
maintain their assessment as Dolph as kind of like this guy who got hired as the B-movie schlock version of Arnold or Stallone if you couldn't afford those guys. And it's really unfortunate that that's kind of what his reputation has been for a lot of people in pop culture. Anytime I've like mentioned his movies to people, that's a lot of time the reaction you kind of get. Yeah. Um, and it really undervalues him as like an actual performer. And unfortunately this isn't necessarily the best movie for that, but I don't think it's his fault. I think he's not given anything to do. Um, he's, he's, he doesn't seem particularly confident in the film. Well, that's Um, the thing I was watching it and I was going like, well, where, where's the scene at least where he gets his, his chance, right. To kind of do some type of monologue or, or, or significant character moment. We we, we were talking about Rocky. We were talking about Rocky Four last week, and like he has incredible physical screen presence. Yeah, and he's he says a very like five lines. Figure, <laughs> and and he delivers the lines well. Oh yeah, and Fantastic. so it, it's this weird thing where you know, like he he carried himself very well physically um, in that film, and you can tell that you know Stallone just kind of really knew how to use him. And I mean, even yeah, shit, yeah. Um, the movie that he did that came out the same year as this Red Scorpion, uh, which is a genuinely kind of evil movie <laughs> where uh he he's basically like rambo but he's fighting for the south south african apartheid government <laughs> mm. <laughs> um who secretly funded that film and everything um but he he looks and acts like an action star in that film you know he right. he he absolutely carries himself well in that in that movie and you can tell in this that he's he's embarrassed to be you know, playing a toy and whatever they recreated for him on set, it doesn't well, really work. Well, if I had a PhD in biochemical engineering or whatever, <laughs> I'd be pretty ashamed to be playing an action figure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean that, that's one thing like we haven't this. mentioned. We, oh, go ahead. Oh no, that that was I was I just meant like especially something like of of this caliber and what they really gave him as a character. I would definitely feel as Dolph like shit. This was not the move. Yeah, because because we we haven't mentioned it. We mentioned it on the on the Rocky episode for people last week. But like, yeah, the, the dude's got a master's in chemical engineering. The yeah, dude he's is very like, intelligent. Uh, he is like an actual you know trained karate fighter. He he only has a movie career because. Grace Jones saw him in a club in Sydney, Australia, and was like, damn, that guy's really big and handsome. He should be my bodyguard. And that got him a cameo role when she was in the Bond film of You to Kill. Right. Um, so, like, this is the only reason he got in. And then he liked it so much, he was like, yeah, dude, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to try modeling and acting and kind of see how that goes. And that was how, you know, he was able to, you know, send his his photo and, and video and auditions to Sylvester Stallone. He got into Rocky. And, yeah, now he's, you know, playing this giant toy next to a little dwarf and there's a key. And, you know, he. <laughs> I, I think he even said in the canon documentary that, you know, he, he felt stupid making right. this movie and because, i feel like yeah. even his small line deliveries you kind of feel that a little bit like you kind of sense a little bit of embarrassment as opposed to well, I the mean, later things he, that we'll discuss he's there like 90 percent naked next to like a little dwarf man who's like there's only uh 0.1 chromons till moonrise sir and then you put him in the middle of la <laughs> Like you couldn't even you couldn't even give him the setting where that would be appropriate you have to throw him on the la streets <laughs> yeah yeah. So, and yeah. and not to, not to mention, you know, again, all of this is just so derivative of so many other films that we've already mentioned too. Like it's right. just it's it's Flash Gordon, it's Star Wars, it's Beastmaster, it's Crawl, it's Conan, and every single thing that any one of those films did, this film just kind of just does it again but a little bit worse. Yeah. A little bit chintzier, a little bit uh, you know, less uh 
well acted, you know, in, in, in sort of, you know, by all the supporting characters and everything. Yeah. One of um, Dolph's most significant moments is when, like, I think it's the whole He-Man catchphrase, which is the, I have the power or whatever. And I think it's pretty obviously like ADR. I don't think they got Dolph to do that. It sounded like they got it straight from the cartoon and just put it <laughs> in the scene. And so even that big moment that's like He-Man's moment, I don't think Dolph even really got that. So there's something there too. Damn. Canon, that's Canon what it sounded like. Kinda... I could be wrong, but it didn't sound like Dolph doing it. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't put it past uh, Canon's production practices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, what was the, what was the goblin's name? The little dwarf guy's Gwildor. name again? Gwildor. Gwildor. I, I, I thought it was interesting. I, uh, you guys have seen a uh, Ridley Scott's legend, right? Yep. Yes. Yep. I can, I, I watched it again recently. I thought it was interesting in that film, the uh, kind of like the goblins and gnomes and hobgoblins or whatever in that movie, how they're all, they, they, they probably were these very state of the art, like animatronics. But they mm-hmm. and they're in sort of this like odd in between point of of <laughs> like gnomes and movies yeah. where it was like the Ewoks, so you just have a person in a suit. Then you have these animatronics, but they're still in this midpoint where they look absolutely horrific. <laughs> <laughs> it's like actually tough to like watch them on screen because <laughs> they're so creepy. Yeah. So it's just interesting watching something like this where cl- clearly they saw that and like okay that looks like shit, <laughs> and then they're just like just go straight back to like you know, a small actor in a, in a costume. Yeah. There's even parts with, with Wildor where like, it, it seems very uncomfortable for whoever that actor was. Cause the, the face mask at one point, the only thing that's open, he has his one eye completely shut closed because of something that happens to him. And then there's only that one eye he has. And I just couldn't imagine how uncomfortable that must've been to just have your basically like 95% of your face covered in that. And then you can't even see clearly as well. So I, I imagine that guy had a quite a time. Yeah. Well, and then not to mention that the other, the guys who were in the other costumes, they're in like similarly, you know, they're in like monster costumes and they're named yeah. like blade and beast man. And, and some of Karg. those are cool. I thought though, like I liked the, uh, I liked the bounty hunter with the kind of frog throat that would inhale and exhale like a bubble. <laughs> I thought that that was kind of cool. The, the, the designs of the bounty hunters weren't bad, um, but it is it, like directly from Empire Strikes Back. But uh, the designs well, yeah, and were then, there, and then they all, they don't get anything to do other than like this really terrible sword fight that he has with the one that's like part yeah. robot. I couldn't make out like any of the choreography that they were doing at all with Dolph until the Dolph like, is takes one bad. of the the way that he takes they do one of the, the small aliens and he throws it at one of the larger aliens, and I was like, okay, there's a beat. I understood what. <laughs> yeah, the coverage of happening. action is 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 quite uh, confusing in this. I will say, like it's um, it's very disorienting, and it's a lot of uh, uh, unfocused shots of them doing the action, and then kind of quicker cuts. It's nothing like Taken Two or anything like that, but you know they're they're, they're too quick, and and there's not enough uh, clarity on the action sequences. Well, and they clearly just didn't have any. I mean, I think the the larger issue is that they didn't have any choreography, really. Sure. Just, yeah. I don't even think. I don't even think they knew what to what to shoot. <laughs> what when to, it came cover, time yeah. to Like that 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 music store set piece. That was when it it really lost me. Mm-hmm. Was when I was like, okay, so they they've set up a lot of plot elements that like the humans think that this teleportation device is like an instrument. So he takes it to like his buddy at the music store, and so th- they do all of this to set up that the cop and the kid and the device 
and the guy who owns the music store are all in one place by the time that Courtney Cox, who saves or who gets saved by He-Man from the gymnasium set piece, they all meet up at the music store where, uh, you know, Skeletor's uh, sorceress Evelyn and, you know, various other sort of Darth Vader looking, uh, you know, soldiers with blasters come in and they literally are just firing you know, uh, like blaster shots at each other and, uh, the big dramatic, like slow motion destruction moment that you see in a lot of eighties action. It's like a keyboard falling over. <laughs> yeah. And around that time was when I was like, okay, so this is it. This, this is the movie. This is, there's nothing more there. Yeah. there we're not going to, if we go back to the big fantasy thing, which they do eventually, but it's worth noting, um, Globus and Golem, they uh they they initially shut them down and they didn't have that big final sword fight between him and Skeletor. They really? had the director the director had to beg to get them to shoot that so what that they, they have? had an ending. Do you oh I have no idea what they had. That's so weird. You'd think like because like, when I saw that, I went, Well, this is the logical conclusion of where this is gonna lead. Obviously Skeletor and He Man are gonna battle it out. <laughs> uh that's crazy. You would think. You would yeah. think. That seems like just that's that's the most cliche beat that could have been possible. I'm I, I'm shocked that they'd be like that's not the move. That's not our move. Did they uh, did they blow all the budget on uh, Skeletor going into pimp mode at the end with the? That's I'm 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 guessing I'm guessing <laughs> that has to be that that has to be part of it. And I mean, him, to be uh, fair, he's he's looking he's looking pretty good. And he uh, quotes uh, he on. quotes Kanye there. I am a god. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know what else there. Is. Like there, there, there's one set piece where uh, Skeletor comes down to Earth and he's on his big ship and he's like hovering over like the California streets. And I thought that that would be pretty cool until they kept cutting to the shots, just pointing up at him where they wouldn't show you the streets anymore. Like they mm-hmm. did one wide shot of it that I was like, okay, I see he's on a ship, he's floating around, it's kind of cool. And then the rest of the shots look make him look like he's on like a parade float. Yeah, yeah kind of the, the parade float made me, I, I kind of liked it because it is funny and totally silly. I mean, it's not intimidating at all, but just the, the image of ske- this like uh, big skeleton king from space coming to earth and then having like a parade for himself, I kind of found amusing, but it is silly. It is absolutely absurd. Um, well, yeah, and, then, and, and he, he's just being dragged around doing, like, purple force lightning on, like, Courtney <laughs> Cox and stuff like that, which, again, they're also stealing from, from Star Sidious. Wars. On, yeah. Yeah, which, they, yeah, then, obviously, Ethan already mentioned they throw him down the shaft. But not only do they throw him down the shaft, when, when he's in, like, his full uh, golden gear that he's got and he does the big sword fight with He-Man, it's the only sequence in the film that has kind of, like, uh you know, a sense of, uh, mood to the lighting. It's, it's all yeah. done in kind of like this really dark void shadows where like they do these bright, like blue and red neon colors with like a little bit of fog in there while they're fighting. And it's like these close-ups of their faces while they're swinging their swords around. Uh-huh. And I was sitting there going, that's just the fucking same fight from empire strikes back. <laughs> it is. And also what I found hilarious, this little detail, you can see, like, I, I think they kind of did it on purpose. They must have been like, well, it's a spaceship, so it would have lights. No problem. But it's weird because that blue and red light that keeps fading in and out uh, between the colors, you can just see it in the background of the set. <laughs> so it feels like you can see this, like the actual lighting of the set. And it didn't 
it didn't mesh with me. It didn't make me feel like it was part of the ship lighting the scene. It felt like I'm just seeing the boom mic or something. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you felt the same way, but that even that lighting felt too artificial in a, in a way. Yeah. 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 Well, and I and I, I think that ultimately it's, you know, I, I I was experiencing just like major zone out by the end of this film. A little bit. Yeah. You. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, it, was, it was my first time watching it. And, uh, you know, I expected to get a little bit more out of it because, you know, we've we've talked about a lot of movies like these before and we've always found kind of something, uh, you know, a little bit of, of value in most of them. But this this made me wonder if I was a little harsh on Beastmaster. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, I I mean I agree. I I think that this movie uh, lined up with how I felt about Beastmaster more than any of the other kind of space fantasies that we've done. But I think I did get more out of Beastmaster than this. Um, so yeah, it did make me want to revisit it a little Be- bit. But Beastmaster, at least the the, the the dude is like weirdly horny, and 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 is like is, is is like really really uh, you know. He, he really gets to go off the rails like as a villain, whereas Frank Langella, you know, you feel like Frank Langella is going for that in his performance, but he's not doing much of anything. He's just kind of yelling, which no, is fine. I think he's, and, and, I and, think and, he's decent, and, though. I think he did the best he could, honestly. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the people working on this <laughs> film probably felt in a similar place. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say my, my, my real last thought on this movie is that I, I do genuinely mean this, that I think uh, the ending with... Courtney Cox's parents coming back to life sends a, a, a terrible message to children. <laughs> <laughs> They're well, not well, coming well, back. Well, and, and, and what me- well, the message? Well, you know, I think children back. need to learn that you know, le- need, children need to learn about loss <laughs> and that, you know, yeah. magical keys do not bring back your dead parents. <laughs> I, I, I not did save I, your folks. I, I did find that very funny that like the the boyfriend in the early scenes is just like you know sometimes they die sometimes planes crash there's not much <laughs> you know there's nothing that you can do about it um, and then and then he man tells her you know there is stuff that you can do you can come through this portal and you can watch <laughs> go me back swing the sword at the skeleton guy and then uh, we say goodbye. And uh, things are better now. Like not to get too dark, but there probably was at least one kid there who's like, you know, dad died of cancer and he was six and he's like, but I'll get the key and I'll come back. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's that is a very dark thought. (laughs) Sorry for planting that. (laughs) Oh, that's good. It's a good way to end her. That's that's totally okay because yeah I think we we have to uh, pivot towards reductive rating round on this which which for you Ethan remove all the words all the nuance reduce the movie between a number between one and five and this has been kind of a scattershot segment because uh, I just don't have a whole lot of uh, things to say about this one unfortunately which kind of sucks it kind of sucks that this was Dolph's first leading role I feel like this painted a lot of people's uh, perception of Dolph and I don't think it's really Dolph's fault which is a big bummer too. Which is, uh, yeah, which is, which is unfortunate because I'm a lot more excited to, you know, branch off and talk about, um, Punisher, which I think, uh, you know, Dolph does, you know, some, you know, actually gets to do some, some interesting things and the filmmaking in general is just on a, on a higher caliber. But yeah, for, for me, this, this overall, just too, you know, um, you know, lazily derivative and unlike, you know, the next film we're going to be talking about, not, not well made or realized enough to kind of like justify that because I, I won't yeah. go as far as to say that you know the Punisher is like 
you know, uh, you know, it's aiming for a similar territory where it's, you know, it's, it's aiming to, you know, uh, give Dolph a leading role in a geek, geek property to try and cash in on repurposing a toy or a comic into, you know, a kind of genre movie that already exists. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just think that this one was n- not very successful at, at doing that. I would love to, I would love to see a, a, a Dolph do, uh, a Conan style film that was actually as good as Conan was. Hell yeah. But, uh, unfortunately not many people out there, no matter how much cocaine you did, you just, you know, you can't reach that unhinged craziness <laughs> that, you know, a screenplay written by Oliver Stone gets you to. Yeah. Um, you need more Coke. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, uh, I'd give it a like a two out of five. Well, I didn't even say yeah. This oh, was gonna get a low. T- this was gonna get a low two for me. Okay, I I would give it like still a solid. Like I I didn't I didn't I wasn't close to hating this movie. I just I did see through it a lot, and I and I felt like a lot of the stuff that they did was kind of lazily put together. You know, very derivative. Um, I do like the gray skull set, and I did like how. Uh, uh, Skeletor, he really gives it in his performance as much as the, the mask is a little shaky uh, but it, it, it's it, you know he's really the only one that's giving this kind of over the top comical performance and I, and I think that it, it at least helps the film stay interesting in, in the parts uh, in between the earth segments that are quite boring I think um, I wish they, they kept with the setting of like Grayskull and, and that area um, I just think once they got to Earth, it, it was really dull and and just just very uninteresting. Uh, very derivative characters with Courtney Cox and Kevin, so that didn't help. And and yeah, so uh, just just too too lazy in too many parts. So two out of five for me. Well, yeah, I mean, did you did you also notice that the the opening credits they literally just like sound like they lifted the Superman theme? Oh yeah, <laughs> I, t- I did and, notice and, that. Yeah. And uh, d- did the exact same opening credits of the original Superman film. Yeah, like the, the first three notes in the mel- melody are like, dun 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 and then it changes from there. And, y- and you're like, are we going into Superman? And then it kind of does a change. But yeah, it's, it, it's, it's funny that even that is derivative. Like you just see so many things that are being blatantly stolen from other films and not in this you know, charming and then, or and, and then, and then done worse and then yeah, chancily yeah. realized very cynically because clearly these two, uh, you know, these, these two guys, uh, Golem and Globus who ran Canon, these two <laughs> Israeli producers <laughs> were just like, we, we are big action Warner brother film now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it kind of feels like. And it also feels um, like they're just kind of, uh, uh, in, almost insulting Dolph. Like they're not taking him seriously. They're not really giving him a chance as a performer in this film, and that also left a sour taste in my mouth. So, mm-hmm. for you, Ethan. Uh, well, you know, there's that part of me that that thinks about, uh, you know, that you know surveillance footage of the the press screening of this. The you know 10 a.m. In, in that New York screening room. The whole bourgeois critic class of like you know Janet Maslin and Gene Shalit just lying there. You know taking their notes and loudly sighing throughout this movie for children. And that part of me, you know, wants to give it a pass, but I have to kind of side with them on, on this, but also, you know, I got to give it some points cause, uh, we should mention the abandoned sequel for this, uh, movie, it, the, the, the sets and costumes built and designed for it were, uh, later reused for Albert Puyan's, uh, cyborg, which is a good movie. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. So, we, we, um, we mentioned that on our cyborg episode, but yeah, that's awesome. So at least I'll it led su- to something good. <laughs> yeah, so you know what? I'll uh, I'll give it a two. Uh, 
you know, I didn't have much positive to say, but I don't really hold this movie in any real contempt. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Right there. Right there with you. And yeah, uh, I, it, it, me, I am charmed by it knowing that uh, it directly resulted in Cyborg, which is a really fun <laughs> film. And we, we, we covered um, Nemesis and Cyborg over on the Patreon for anyone who hasn't heard that. But like, that's John claude Van Damme in these kind of outfits uh, in the you know split kicking of a viral apocalypse. <laughs> uh, that's what this movie needed ultimately. Yeah, more split <laughs> kicks for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well that will I think wrap it up for Masters of the Universe. Stick around because we are going to be right back and we're going to be talking about I think something that flexes Dolph's uh, you know uh, credibility a little bit more as an actor. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the Punisher. He defends the innocent. But if you're guilty, he gives no warning and shows no mercy. What the hell is this? Trouble. Dolph Lundgren, Louis Gossett Jr. Mr. P, happy hunting! The Punisher. Justice with a vengeance. All right, we are back and we are talking The Punisher, the 1989 American action film directed by Mark uh, Goldblatt and written by uh, Boaz Yakin. Uh, I don't know why I recognize that name. I yeah, I recognize that, that name. He uh, did uh, From Dusk Till Dawn 2, Blood Money. Oh, I, I have think. <laughs> Actually, let me know. that? I have not seen it. I just remember seeing that name in the, the movie hound or the video hound guide. Oh, he also oh yeah. Okay. So, so he, so he, so, so he wrote that film. He didn't direct it, but he wrote it. Dude, he also wrote, uh, the Prince of Persia movie. And now you see me. <laughs> King. King. <laughs> Amazing. Let's go, man. Amazing. This is, this is how you start a career right here. Yep. Um, oh, he directed the safe pu- too with Jason Statham. Anyway. And and mm-hmm. uh, Uptown Girls with uh, Brittany Murphy. Oh yeah, and Remember yeah. the Titans. Wow. Okay. Damn. Guys exactly. had a, a executive producer had... for the first two entries of the Hostel franchise as well. Yeah, this guy's gotten around. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, the 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 Punisher. Um, I'm sure most people are familiar uh, with the character of 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 Frank Castle, who is a you know a uh, sort of veteran cop whose entire family is murdered by the mafia in you know in various stories it's kind of different they're you know murdered um you know sort of like I, I, what happens in the travolta one they just get shot like at a wedding or something right i can't yeah i actually yeah. don't remember the travolta one very well and uh in in this one they're killed by a car bomb uh, but one one thing that I'll I'll say about this like right off the top is I love how streamlined this movie is. Absolutely, that, like, they, they they cover all of the stuff about his past other than brief flashbacks in like this like weirdly kind of like noirish Saul Bass like opening credits, which is yeah. just like the grainy sewer that he lives in, like superimposed with images of criminals and martial arts training and, and like, the colorful gangsters. moving target thing that it kind of does. Yeah, that he's yeah, it's, it's laying out that he's. Been been killing off yeah. various gangsters uh, because he's killed off like 125 mob-related figures before the movie's like even started, <laughs> and it's laying that out in like the opening um, 
credits scene, which is just kind of like a, a really cool way to kind of bypass the origin story and like yeah. the opening 20 minutes of setup that you would need and, and just, and just doing cool vibes, cool images and just Dolph just blowing up the credit sequence with like machine gun fire and like this pop art montage. <laughs> like yeah. it's just like a weird, um, thing to do. But I, I, I was very uh, impressed by that, especially that this is on you know, it's on a very limited budget. It's produced by New World Pictures, which was uh, a Roger Corman company that he founded in, in, in the 70s. And they've made a lot of movies that we've talked about, you know, like The Brood, Death Race 2000, mm-hmm. uh, Larry Cohen's God Told Me To, nice. uh, Crimes of Passion, some of the early Cronenbergs and stuff, too. And, of course, they also did the other Mark Goldblatt, did Dead Heat, which is a, a movie oh, that's yeah? a total blast, and I can't recommend... Uh, more people checking it out. We talked about it with uh, Andrew Law probably like two years ago now, maybe. Yeah, but it's so. just a total blast combination of like Shane Black buddy comedy movie and like straight up like zombie body horror yeah, movie. It's perfect. Uh, really, good and I will, I will, I will never forget the the two zombies with Uzis just <laughs> shooting into each other like you know 80s action movie style just laying into each other flesh ripping off of each other's bones while they're shredding each other with the uzis but neither going down because they're both dead yeah incredible um just like great little things like that that only mark goldblatt uh you know would would think to do because you know he's just so well versed in putting together you know like these 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 action films again this is the guy who edited terminator first blood part two commando true lies um showgirls starship troopers blast boy scout bad boys 2 and yeah so what watching him take a stab at like a comic book movie but like a comic book movie that still somehow like more resembles like a hyper violent crime gangster movie with like the kind of unhinged violence you'd see in like a, I don't know, like a Seagal, like on deadly ground for justice or something. something. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's what I, I I found myself thinking like, okay, so this is sort of like nineties geek adaptation where all the gangsters are in like pinstripe suits and the Punisher hangs out in like a Ninja Turtles sewer base. (laughs) Um, but also it's a grindhouse revenge movie pretty much at the same time. Yeah. So, and, and uh, also you get and to a see Yakuza Dolph. movie and you get to see Dolph's ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a great tracking shot through the sewer that arrives at Dolph's just naked body, uh, <laughs> praying at some sort of vigil of candles that he sets up that he has in the sewers. Yeah. And I love his um, like talks it like, he's not sure if he's talking to God or not. It's like, God hasn't answered <laughs> me yet. And all that like really dark kind of macho poetry. <laughs> well, good. I think all those lines through his kind of accent have a weird poetry. You're right. They have a right. Yeah. Real, or a po- I still talk to God sometimes. <laughs> they don't sound like yeah. that. It's, it's pretty great. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, and I, what's the big thing that he 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 goes? Uh, I'm asking why? Why are the innocent dead and the yeah. guilty alive? Where <laughs> is justice? I don't know why I sound like Anton Shigur when I do this, but uh, <laughs> the guilty will be punished. Yeah, yes, <laughs> so yes. Good. And he, here is punishment here in me. And, uh, yeah, I gotta say, this was just such, like, a when I watched this for the first time, I was, like, legitimately kind of, like, 
blown away that this, you know, wasn't sort of like more uh, talked about um, just well, because yeah. like Mark Goldblatt, because I mean, De- Dead Heat's not really talked about either. And I'm really surprised that some guy who, you know, does such competent action and made such like weird little, you know, again, it, it's an incredibly silly, like macho revenge action movie where Dolph Lundgren lives in the sewer and everything like that. But like that to me should be like a feature. Well, as a guy, uh, as a guy who you know spent a lot of time on message boards back in the day, uh, both for movies and comic books, I can say that I feel like this mo- this is the kind of movie that back then, where people would be like, "Oh, it's bad because the Punisher doesn't have his his skull on his shirt or whatever." <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could I could absolutely see that, but for some reason, that that really that that was enough for people to like not be able to appreciate like. Dolph Lundgren, you know, doing this very macho poetry, riding around a motorcycle through the so in the, through the sewers and like head to toe black leather, occasionally coming out of the sewers to basically just brutally execute various Italian mobsters and like ninjas wearing scuba gear and things <laughs> like this. That's that's basically you know what the vast majority um, of this movie is some of the violence i I had a blast pretty wild too like i like the uh at one point the yakuza are taking over like a ship uh full of frenchmen and they start throwing these balls that are spiked just at their faces and they just get stuck in their forehead and you know they fall over dead it's 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 got a pretty visceral feeling to some of the action in it a lot of squib work a lot of uh like like blood splatter effects as well Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I mean. Like it, it, it more closely reminds me of like I was sitting here thinking of some of the action scenes. I was thinking of something like Out for Justice, like for where sure. you get a shot where you know uh, Steven Seagal will just like pin a dude's arm to you know the meat shop wall with a butcher's knife, and like you yeah. actually see it like take a chunk of his hand off or something like that. Like it, it's very weird seeing that here in like what is you know again still overtly you know sometimes kind of a silly you know comic book movie in its own way Mm -hmm. i wouldn't say that it's any more stupidly plotted than half the comic book movies that come out but (laughs) for me this is just more what like a real movie is supposed to look like yeah definitely definitely no i will say to me it didn't it's less it reminded me of uh existing action movies and more it reminded me of uh the film within or the fake McBain movies from the Simpsons. It felt like the closest I've seen to that in live action. Yeah, yeah I, I could agree with that for sure. Yeah, like, uh, or uh, Raw Deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> with uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. This one does have, have more of it. like a, uh, a darker, serious tone. They definitely take Frank seriously as a character. Um, they still know what they're what they're getting into with some of the like over the top action that comes from the nineties and all that stuff. But I do like that. They take his, his kind of dark motivations, uh, seriously. So that's, that's, that's Oh yeah. Cool. I mean, I mean, he, he really unleashes like gruesome violence in, in this film and the film takes that as like, you know, yeah, like a, like a, a serious thing. Like the, it, weirdly enough, instead of focusing a lot of the time on him, a good portion of the film is spent with, you know, like his partner, um, Lewis Gossett Jr. playing a guy, uh, a detective named Jacob Berkowitz, who, uh, you know, is his former partner. And, you know, he's the one only cop in town who thinks that Frank Castle is the guy doing this because everyone else thinks that, you know, Frank Castle, he died in the, you know, the the mob bombing with with his family and he's just gone. But really, you know, he's moved underground and he's decided on this revenge mission. And as this movie started, he's again already killed 125 people, like massacred them. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, like he does some, like one of the opening bits in this is like one of the Italian gangsters, like getting off in, in, in court. He's the, the dapper Don of the, (laughs) of the, the Franco crime family. And he's like, this is America. If a man is innocent, the system will prevail shortly after Dolph Lundgren, uh, you know, assuming this is the guy who killed his family, breaks into the dude's mansions with his big black boots and his knife. He drops down into what looks like the, the like the lady from Shanghai room for a second. And <laughs> yeah. he kicks a blade into the dude's chest. And then he <laughs> drops a rope down and like hangs another one of his henchmen in front of him. And you just watch the Don come in with his food. And all he sees is, you know, his dead bleeding henchman on the ground and one like strangled from, from the roof of his mansion. They even do and, this like POV of the Punisher coming up to him when he realizes who's done it. And it's like, it's almost implied that the Punisher is, you know, kind of larger than life, an entity that can't be reckoned with. Um, Cause the way that it, the camera approaches him and he kind of lets out a yell, it's almost as if he's like a monster or a serial killer or something like that. Yeah. Which, which I mean he is in a way. Uh, yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Definitely. it does feel, um, it almost does feel like it's some kind of like insane giallo you're watching at the beginning. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that, that's a good point. Cause I mean yeah. like you get that all from the point of view of him, of the people being massacred. And like the 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 climax of that scene is like the Don with a knife in his back, like walking out his front door while the house is like exploding. And you just see like Dolph Lundgren's like, you know, inside uh, the house, black leather silhouette, you know, but, you know, just slightly in front of the flames and yeah. the, you know, like the pristine white house. It's a, it's a nice little shot, actually. And he moves like all it does is he moves to the right of the, the front entrance and the whole house explodes. So it, it, it does once again give this kind of like he, he's someone that can't really be fought because like he just out of like he's inside the house and then it explodes two seconds later. There's there's no sequence where he like gets out of the house. They play a lot of like he's a mysterious guy that can go in and out of scenes without a without any trouble, that kind of thing. So I like yeah. that, too. And and then a good portion of the film is set up with, again, his his partner, Louis Gossett Jr., who is the character who is, you know, pursuing him and trying to bring him to justice in some way, even though um, the no one else believes him or wants to believe him. Like one of the early scenes is one of the, his his uh, bosses being like, uh, you know, the mayor is breathing down my neck. We can't have uh, the public thinking that there's a psychotic ex cop out on the street murdering people and, you know, uh, you know, thing, things of this nature. Yeah. Um, so it, it definitely travels, you know, with a little bit of what we're going to be talking about about next week when there's we're we're talking about Dolph doing some buddy cop stuff (laughs) you know there's there's a little bit of a you know it's it's traveling more in that kind of genre this is is like the movie that happens after those buddy cop stories it's like the the but the the two friends that were cops really dark separated because of some some terrible things that have happened and they're trying to kind of come together and and make well at least specifically Jake is trying to make Frank realize what he's doing is is violent and 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 too much and he's killed 125 people he should reckon with that and yeah so yeah i actually found um you know because i i can't say that i've seen lewis gossett jr like really act much i don't i can't think of what else i've even seen him in but like i i actually found you know his character like kind of sad 
Yeah. Um, yeah. The way the way that he's um, you know he's dealing with the fact that his friend died, but then also that his friend is now you know basically a slasher killer, and he doesn't like that either. And then also he you know briefly mentions like his alcoholism, which is like a thing that recur- <laughs> recurs in this movie because mm. Dolph also has like a, a Shakespearean actor turned homeless man who is like his one partner, and he talks in <laughs> rhymes. <laughs> Who, who helps him navigate the underworld. There's a scene where he lures that man with an, an RC car with a bottle of Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's, there's some, there's some, some funny stuff and some genuinely kind of like sad stuff that's taking place. Um, and even that mood though, like where it's funny to watch him bring whiskey on an RC car. There is still like a sadness to the fact that this guy is so desperate for booze. He's willing to, he's he's baiting a a homeless man with alcohol. (laughs) Even when they throw that kind of humor at you, it still works within the tone of the rest of the film, which is something that, um, more so when we talk about the buddy cop movies that we're going to be doing next week, sometimes the balance isn't as good, uh, still there, but this one I found really stayed true to its tone most of the time. Well, something I find interesting with this film is that um, it's kind of well, it's interesting because the Punisher now is such a loaded character in terms of like literally cops will wear like the Punisher logo <laughs> on their like gear and stuff. Yeah, and, right. Uh, and t- I was kind of th- watching this again, I was saying, oh, how how will this be reflective of the anxieties of its time? Because I think this was I, I, part of. It, I didn't remember the movie very well, very well, and I was kind of worried it would be. I don't know, like have a really, really reactionary bent of being about like inner city violence or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it does have a reactionary bent, but it's the reactionary bent. It's specific to is the fear of the Japanese takeover uh, with the villains of the time, because <laughs> yeah. this is something you see in a lot of films. Um, and this, to be specific, this was uh, how this you know kind of the end of history period when people feared that uh japan's was going to have a total economic domination over america and you Mm -hmm. see this represented in movies you know as varied as blind date the blake edwards romantic comedy or at best scene i don't know if you guys have seen this and if you haven't you must do it for the show charles (laughs) bronson in kinajit forbidden subjects um i have not what the hell is that (laughs) i'm watch listing that a movie where all the Japanese businessmen coming to America are, are secretly sex creeps. Um, and it's <laughs> oh, up to Charles God. Bronson to lock them up. You should definitely do oh, it on the show. Yeah, that's wild. Uh, um, but yeah, you see that uh, represented in this with the, the Japanese being the ultimate big bad. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. And, and we're going to be talking about it a little bit next week, too, because Dolph did another film, um, Showdown in Little Tokyo, with Brandon Lee, which is also about the Yakuza, like, uh, entering the the, uh, the, the the drug scene. <laughs> Something that I like about how they portray the Yakuza in this is, is that scene where, I think it's their introduction to the mafia with the Yakuza, and she comes in and says, like, y- you Americans are, are so... I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it's like you're talented she, she, she at violence, you're, but you're also yeah. reckless and unfocused. And, um, and it kind of leads into the whole idea of like the Yakuza taking over that the, the, the overall mafia in the streets and, and that kind of thing. I did like their introduction. I thought it was pretty good. And there's some stuff relevant to now in terms of there's that scene called the kidnap children, uh, where they're clearly, in you know, what seems like the basement of Comet pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> they, they 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 do kidnap all the uh, mobsters' children um, at at one point in the film. I kind of like too that there were so many different kinds of mobsters in this movie. One of the big yeah. first action scenes in the film is Dolph interrupting a drug deal at a at a, a you know like a like a loading dock kind of deal, and. Um, he he goes in and it looks like there's a bunch of Italian dudes and they're all just being like, hey, what? And <laughs> they literally saying shit like that, like before they get killed, obviously. Yeah, like one um, I like is where he's like, no, it's completely dead out here. And then he just gets popped in the head. <laughs> well, yeah, because one, it's like literally the guy's calling in being like, hey, have you seen anything? Is anything going wrong? Is right. everything good? And he's like, what? He's like, is everything good? He's like, yeah. And then literally a katana <laughs> flies through the windshield. Um, and kills him. (laughs) Good stuff. (laughs) And, um, meanwhile, a bunch of like the French dudes are, you know, doing, you know, bring, bringing in the drugs and then the Yakuza are intercepting that and killing a bunch of the dudes, which, which Jamie mentioned, like, you know, they pull out like hidden blades out of like their shoes. There's a lot of that in this movie. (laughs) There's a lot of that. Yeah, a lot of hidden um, swords and, and just weaponry in general. That's where also they have the ball spikes, which are pretty effective. I like yep, the use of those yep. a lot. Someone also gets like their arm chopped off in that sequence. <laughs> yep. And so so you have the French versus the Italians versus the Japanese all meeting. And then Dolph shows into this. <laughs> and he literally like harpoons a dude with a rope attached to it. <laughs> and while it's pierced through the van... He slides oh, yeah. down it and starts firing machine gun fire into the various Yakuza and Italian goons. He lands and then switches to a shotgun somehow. And then he starts like sending people p- like p- doing full wire pulls with squibs exploding everywhere as they go flying. I also and I really like going, this is a comic book movie. It's so strange. Oh yeah, dude. And I also really like the sequence where, uh, he he goes down the rope and then he's starting to shoot everybody and he starts to run uh, and the camera follows him like a tracking shot sideways and it goes between all these like platforms. So it'll be like him running and shooting somebody and then the platform and then him shooting again and him the platform. And it's just it was a very cool and exciting shot for that kind of uh, shooting and chase sequence. So, that, yeah, that, that sequence is really good. Yeah, I think I think Goldblatt, you know, just has a uh, you know a, a really good eye for you know the the kind of um, tangible action and, and and stunt work in that, having cut so much of it um, together. Yeah, and there there's a lot of you know really decent like steady cam moves, and eventually in the big like final set piece in the corporate offices, there's like this like. Uh, Dutch angles and like this blood red lighting that's still kind of like following the actual fights that are taking place. Like the fights are pretty good. Once Mm -hmm. again, this is another movie where Dolph basically fought everyone for real because this is just a thing he likes to do. (laughs) He likes to tell all the stunt people he works with that. Yeah, we're just going to fucking hit each other. (laughs) And, uh, they, they didn't. Well, and the thing about this too is that that's awesome. He didn't, um, for this one, they didn't grab stunt guys. They actually trained uh, karate champions. So all the people that he fights in like the big set pieces, including like the uh, the Coney Island one and stuff like that as well, 
um, are him just fighting actual karate champions. Oh, that's cool. They're, they're, well, that's that brings up something interesting because we talked about uh, Seagal and how he would also kind of like hit people on purpose. Yeah, but he, just, assuming, he just wouldn't tell people. Right. That, that's basically <laughs> what I was going to say. I'm assuming the difference there is that that they agreed with Dolph that like we're going to smack each other around a little bit to make it look really powerful impactful yeah okay okay because it's just like that that seems wild to me that that uh that's the way they did it just because i thought that it was kind of against what they did as stuntmen a lot of the time they try to no for for, for some reason ever since rocky four i guess because stallone directed him to really hit him he's just like this is how you do it <laughs> that dolph dolph's just he's 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 brought it up a lot it's just he he likes adding that uh realistic factor to the hey, to the, the every, fight scenes even in everyone's movie in where, agreement you know, that's killer um and and as a result he basically starts a um you know he he starts a a mob war between all of these different factions and he reveals that that was actually kind of his plan that he he wanted to just quietly sneak in and get them all to look like they were fucking each other up and uh get them to all kill each other but uh unfortunately it has left the Italian mob so weak that the Yakuza is, you know, strong enough that they can take over. And as a show of force, they kidnap all of the <laughs> the Italian mobsters' kids. Right. Um, and then, you know, that that is something that Dolph eventually has to reckon with because he has the characters being like, you know, now you're going to get, you know, a bunch of these little innocent kids, uh, you know, essentially killed. And the reason you started doing this was because your kids were killed. Um, yeah. So they, they, they try to appeal to his uh, humanity, even though, you know, Dolph is doing a very effective dead-eyed stare, baritone voice, <laughs> riding a motorcycle through the sewers. He's, he's doing something, you know, kind of, you know, uh, you know, I would say kind of inhuman a little bit. He has that quality. He has a killing machine quality that he would, like, repurpose in kind of like the Universal Soldier films. Yeah. Um, especially the late Universal Soldier films. I think someone... Yeah, Andrew Levine, listener of the show, brought up that he was very excited we were talking about Punishers because it reminded, you know, the the kind of uh, uh, beyond hum- humanity kind of like raging at humanity reminded him as a precursor to kind of like the John Hyams uh, Universal Soldier films that he's uh, did in 2009 and 2012, which are okay. awesome if anyone hasn't seen those. Yeah, I think this is a much, I, I don't know if we've said this sorry a much better vehicle for Dolph than Masters of the Universe. It, it shows oh, off yeah. his... It shows off his uh, talents much, much better, I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even just as a physical performer, like, again, they, uh, they, that, that big uh, Coney Island set piece is kind of ridiculous, um, where, like, you see all these, like, like, what basically looks like ninja outfit dudes, like, riding down those, like, giant slides that you slide down <laughs> with the mats. You and know they're what I'm shooting about? at the same time. Yeah, that shit is <laughs> yeah. awesome. That shit is fantastic. They, oddly enough, that kind of reminded me of just uh, that that brief sequence in in Nemesis where they go down the slide and they're shooting at each other. But this one is, oh, yeah. is a little yeah. bit more, um, uh, I don't know, like gang affiliated just because they have like 16 people going down the slide at the same time trying to shoot at Dolph. It's some really insane imagery that I liked a lot. Yeah, and and there's a lot of just like really great you know physical stunt work that he gets to do in that he gets to like do hand to hand combat and kicks like on like spinning, uh, like I don't I don't even know what the I don't I ne- didn't understand what that floor wheel was at all. This apparently isn't even in uh, Coney Island. This is like all shot in Australia, from what I understand. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, the the, the yeah. spinning thing seemed like 
something that's completely out of place. I'm not sure what the practical use of it was, but <laughs> I did like the way that they that they filmed it because they kind of have this really long one shot and the cameraman goes around the platform that isn't moving. And so you have, like you're watching Dolph and the guy kind of scuffle and move along while it's floating or, or not floating, but spinning. And it kind of makes Dolph travel a little further than he normally would. And I don't know, it, it leads to some interesting um, kind of action beats a little bit, but it does seem like weird and kind of out of place, but I yeah, like it. yeah. But, but I, but I will say gold, Goldblatt fills it with like, you know, decent roaming camera choreography and yeah. stuff like that. Hand to hand fights. And there's like chains and shotguns and stunts of him being like uh, pulled from, uh, from like the bike as they uh, use the chain to like hurl him off of it and right. being like roundhouse kicked into like unconsciousness and you know, thing, things like that. So it's, it, it's decently handled by, by Goldblatt um, and definitely brings a sense of like physicality to, you know, some of the more ridiculous elements because some of the elements do get a little crazy and it kind of helps that there is some sort of filmic grounding uh, you know, even when you're watching, you know, ridiculous action scenes, at least like the action is, is tangible and, and held in that way. Um, yeah. especially because then you get to scenes where like, <laughs> you know, like I, I love that they included the child actors in this, but like the innocent kids who they're holding to like put them into the slave trade Yeah, and they're like, we're here because our dads are rich gangsters. <laughs> yeah. And then they start fighting about it like 10 year olds. I also, love that they had they have a sequence eventually where you know the, the kids get kidnapped kidnapped or whatever and then frank uh the punisher he steals a bus so that he can grab them and then take them and there's a part where the yakuza start to chase them on the bus and a guy run, jumps off of the car that he's in and hangs on to one of the side windows and the kids end up like hitting his <laughs> hands his fingers off right yeah, yeah so that he lets go and then there's this shot that's completely unnecessary but totally i appreciate it uh where the fucking body just gets totally run over by the van and you see the yeah. whole thing get like tossed and you, turned see, you, and you see that dude's chest get flattened by yeah, a car the after only thing, after the kids pried his fingers off the windows yeah and i love that it's the kids that do it the only thing that it's missing is a, a cut back to the kids where they're like high five for murdering a man or something like that <laughs> but uh but i love yeah. that, that well, was and, and there's there's like a jackie chan level stunt in that sequence too where like one of the dudes is riding on top of the 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 roofs of a car that yeah. runs into the bus and he flies off the roof of the car into the windshield of the bus <laughs> through it and then starts trying to fight Dolph lundgren inside the bus right i forgot about that <laughs> While Dolph's like driving the bus. So, and like, then he even gets some... tossed off the bus afterwards and does like a pretty sick roll. So yeah, th that sequence was good. I like that a lot. Yeah. There's, there's some, uh, there's some, some just really decent, um, action going on in this film. And I, I, I especially like that they decided to, to leave it bloody and stuff and everything as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely. even, Let's... even if some of the more ridiculous elements, uh, butt up against it sometimes. It's what you'd want from a, a canon movie, honestly. <laughs> Yes, we did exactly. get from Masters of the Universe. No, I guess at this point, canon was basically dissolved. Was this one? Yeah, of they were. Last they, they were. They were putting together their um, their bankruptcy productions at this point. This was when they started uh, looking for pions to make films like Cyborgs to repurpose things they've already <laughs> gotcha. spent millions of dollars on. Right. But yeah, no, I, th I think that that's spot on. I think that this is this is this feels like if canon got into you know the superhero realm this and is what it would and maybe like. they should get back into it honestly i mean i, I guess that'd be awesome 
one of the two uh, Golden Globus. Are both of them dead? <laughs> I'm not just sure, one. actually. <laughs> I, 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 think, well, I think it's just one. Well, if at least one is still alive, I mean, he can, you know, I, he's, we, we need him to work his magic. We need yeah. him to be the new Kevin Feige or Feige or whatever. Of, uh, <laughs> we need a truly body horror Marvel movie. That's what we need. Uh, well, it's going to be delivered on in Doctor Strange 2. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm sure it will um, be, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, what's the... So the, he, he does the thing. He... Uh, he tries to save all of the kids because he thinks that it's, you know, it's, it's his fault that he's the one who got the kids put in danger and everything like that. There's a great moment where he's trying to fuck with the Yakuza and he just shoots up all of their gambling dens, uh, to just lose the money. And it reminded me of the bit in Rambo first blood part two, where he just takes machine gun fire to the, to the intelligence. Oh, yeah. He's like, Whoa! on all the big computer systems and everything. And Dolph's basically just doing like the, the exact same thing, but to be just like the arcade, <laughs> like, like slot, the machines slot machines and yeah. like, and, and like card tables and stuff like that. It's also and the it's only like, time he like actually emotes, which is funny too. The one time that he shows like true passion for something is when he's just blasting a machine gun at a bunch of casino slots. Good stuff. Yeah, it's, it's it's just sixty seconds of just sparks and smoke and glass and debris and, <laughs> and fire Dolph going screaming. Everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, which is you know it's a it's a it's a good um, you know visual uh, representation of you know the Punisher uh, his char- his <laughs> and, character's experience. And honestly, you're not getting that even in you know what are supposed to be the good action movies like John Wick or whatever. You're kind of like even those are too much in a bit of a cartoon weightless realm. That there's just something this has that those movies don't. Yeah. Well, again, I think I think it's Mark Mark Goldblatt who is just again so familiar with, you know, when when action movies operated like this, and you watch it now, and you could see at the time that I could see at the time watching this why people kind of felt like this was kind of like um, crass and generic, kind of in a way, I guess. Like if if this was what all movies looked like to you at the time, right? But it's so crazy going back and watching this now, and, <laughs> and knowing this is this not is what a, movies look like, quote unquote, and you're like, man, I, I man. It, it would be great to live in a time where just the average action movie had action scenes that just felt like that. Yeah. And just, <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, looked like this. Um, because it all, it all kind of comes to a fold a little bit when he, uh, rescues the majority of the kids. He rescues basically every kid, you know, except for one in the big set piece where he, he, he literally brings a school bus, uh, to the, uh, slave trade area, shoves them all in and then drives away. And there's that big set piece where, you know, they're trying to stop him and all of that, but he ends up getting away and he delivers them to, to the cops and the cops bring him in. And they they do do a, this effective thing where um, they you know they've they've captured him and they've confirmed that Frank Castle is alive and that now he's basically just this you know really insane um, you know killing machine essentially and there's this great scene where uh, according to Goldblatt they he intentionally didn't have Dolph Lundgren or Louis Gossett Jr. like ever meet each other on set oh, until really? this, this scene where Louis Gossett Jr. finally had all of his suspicions confirms and run in. And he just looks so sad and he's just yelling at his, what used to be his best friend being like, you're sick. Don't you know that? Uh, yeah. And he, and he, and he gets that great line where he's like, what, what do you call t- 125 murders in five <laughs> years? And he's like, work, work in progress. progress. <laughs> yeah. And I, I gotta say like, I, I'm, I myself wasn't all that invested in, 
in Jake's scenes prior. Um, I just felt mm-hmm. like it was kind of a little bit generic. I do like him as an actor. I thought he was good. I just, I, the, the plot and the writing itself of his character was just kind of whatever for me. But when it led up to this scene, I think that those scenes just worked a little more for me because now it's, it's actually, it's just kind of unveiling what his motivations were this entire time. And him saying that you've killed 125 people and him reacting that way is just kind of the kind of conclusion of what their plot was going to lead to. So um, that scene I yeah, do well, like. And, I just found I really his other like... stuff a little, bit, a little bit dull, but it led to this, so I end up liking it at the end of the day. Yeah, well, and, I, and, and I like that he gets that bit where he's just like, you know, the Frank I knew died five years ago. And right. you would think that the scene, you know, would would normally just be kind of like a like a generic plot device and just weirdly enough both actors they do try to just make it sad yeah Um, oh yeah and and it is it is just kind of sad watching these two kind of have a falling out where they don't really recognize each other anymore and Dolph is just this you know there there are sort of brief hints of flashbacks where he looks like more animated than he is he looks more like what he would do when he would do his more charismatic buddy cop stuff that he would pursue like what we're going to talk about next week yeah um when he had his family and stuff and those flashbacks are just like brutal man there's there's a part where he's just like uh he he's getting glimpses of him you know where he is now riding through the sewer but then he gets flashbacks to his kids and then he cuts back to them and the kids are now in black clothes, like pointing Uzis at him in his house. And then his house right. explodes. Yeah. Like they're, they're doing like these almost like very expressive little nightmare sequences where, you know, like killing has just absolutely consumed his life, even his memories of his children and everything. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's despite the fact that again, this is, you know, ultimately, you know, a, a Marvel uh, film by you know like a, a guy who was hired because he was familiar enough to competently make the action scenes I found myself just you know kind of surprisingly moved by Dolph in the film which is uh, makes it you know one of the 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 better performances of, of his that I that I think that I've seen I think he does nail yeah. that kind of uh, sad killing machine quality um, he, and he, he really he really does take that into the big final set piece the five o'clock shadow definitely helps uh, yeah. The, the, yeah the 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 painted five o'clock shadow it has to be painted right <laughs> I feel I, I feel like it's got to be it's yeah just, precise uh, yeah I don't know if I've ever seen Dolph otherwise with facial hair. Yeah, I always seen him with a clean shave. This is the most, this is the like filthiest I've ever seen him with his look. Yeah, well, and also they obviously dyed his hair because usually he's got the big blonde thing going right. on too. Yeah, and he's right. got to have the, the the black hair, so he's got to have the black facial hair as well. <laughs> and then this leads like um, this, and then this basically leads into the big Yakuza dojo finale. Right where it's just like yeah, where they, where they they've literally turned like there's the, so the much brutality in this man. It's a, it's an they, unbelievable. They've turned finale. the corporate offices into like this dojo, but also there's also a scene too where they just like massacre the Italian mob. Right. In in like a scene that you know should be like in I don't know like in in something like uh you know like uh like a Scorsese or something <laughs> yeah. when like she just walks in and they were just like we're here to negotiate you know the safe return of our children and she's just like oh the the one of you that didn't is I guess is the only smart one and they literally just start fucking shooting them all yeah <laughs> like in the restaurant and stuff like that the one I love too we haven't mentioned her yet but they have this like one like hundred pound five foot four white ninja girl 
that that <laughs> takes her earrings and pins people to the walls with them like they're throwing ninja stars. And I gotta yep. say, she's awesome because in the in the she she pops up throughout the whole film, and she's always this like mysterious character that's just very skilled and deadly. Uh, but by the end, she basically goes up against Dolph uh, as the Punisher, and there's an amazing shot of Dolph ripping through the dojo wall to tackle her, and he rips yeah. like tackles her, and then they rip through the other wall, and just watching like 250 pounds, six foot six Dolph Lundgren tackle this hundred pound five foot four white woman is so <laughs> fucking crazy to me that shot is unbelievable and then they have a, a whole sequence where they you know they, they fight back and forth she she cuts him with the knife and then there's this wide shot of him just snapping her neck and her collapsing to the ground while they have this red color like this red lighting going out throughout this whole fi- finale sequence really um, and yeah, I just, I had to mention her cause she was, she was great. The, the you, brief moments that she has. Do you think uh, Dolph actually hit that kid in that one scene? <laughs> He's like, kid, I'm he, sorry, he, but we're doing this for real. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is how, this is the only way to make it feel real. This man. is how the stars do it, man. <laughs> you want to be big, right kid? Yeah. No, that, that big finale when he gets into, and he just breaks into the Yakuza offices is, you know, genuinely just like really crazy. And and, yeah. and it's all it all goes back to the big uh you know, I think at one point some character says to him, you know, there's a limit to revenge and he says, I guess I haven't reached mine yet. And <laughs> there, there's there's this this sort of idea that I you know, he's doing this because the Italian gangster has said, you know, I just want you to rescue my kid. And as long as you rescue my kid, like we can go back to doing whatever. He even basically says that, you know, you know, Dolph's like, I'm gonna kill you when this is over but I will help you. You know, I don't want your kid to die. So he's literally just doing all of this to save a kid. And it's, you know, it's, so it's, it's supposed to be, you know, to the Punisher, it's a heroic gesture that, you know, he's, he's going in and he's going to help this, you know, this, this kid not get sold into the slave trade or whatever, or just get knifed by the random Yakuza <laughs> lady in, yeah. in her makeup. But there's something to be said about how even this, you know, you know, quote unquote heroic final set piece is still just really gruesome and like unforgivingly um, kind of rend- rendered. And when he's yeah. just like ripping through like the paper barriers and then the power goes out and it turns like all red um, in in the rooms and he gets into like a legit karate fight with those. I think those two guys are the two guys who are actual karate champions that he fights in that scene. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. That's a great scene where the one guy gets yeah, pinned and, and, to the wall with a spear. <laughs> yeah. You get the, the Dutch angle moving camera and these wide shots of, of, of these guys fighting and he viciously like spears a dude lifts him and then like gores him onto the wall like and Michael he remains Myers there style. the rest of the fight which is really cool because like as he's fighting the other guy you just yeah, see, you him see him hanging in the, in the background yeah so that was a cool. that's so sick yeah very very cool and then he kicks the other one onto like the decorative like sword piece and everything like that i also like um, when they go into the dojo the first time and there's like 50 dudes practicing uh, martial arts or, or with swords or something. Oh, and they just, and they machine just gun gun fire them all them. down. Yeah. <laughs> like there's no honor in it at all. It's just brrr, everybody's dead. It's hilarious in a way. 
Yeah, yeah. So this this sequence is just really, really brutal, and it's handled, you know, really stylishly with some of the camera moves, and you know, with with the right pushes when they're when they're called in for and everything like that. Like, yeah. like that fight that he does with the girl. Like, there's parts where like the camera is literally like lunging over the shoulders, like with their punches and kicks and stuff at each other. Oh, which yeah. Which is just you know, it it really gets you invested in that fight, even though again, this is like this really tiny woman and <laughs> yeah. it's like huge, like huge. Yeah, and then there's also I a mean, really cool part where uh this is after the the red lighting sequence where the yakuza leader woman has uh the knife to the mafia boss's son like his neck and they do this cool sequence where the camera spins all the way around her and then goes to franco who is the father and then she forces him to like put his gun in his mouth and he's crying and she's like, if you don't kill <laughs> yourself, brutal. I'll kill my son. I'll kill your son. Like it is fucking dark. It, it gets really, really brutal and, and pretty wild. Um, and I just didn't expect, I, I knew like, you know, it's the Punisher. So I knew there was going to be a lot of brutality and stuff, but I just didn't think yeah, it, there's gonna I didn't know it was going to go as far quality. as it did. And it, uh, yeah, I appreciated it for sure. Well, yeah, because and then when Dolph actually, you know, he 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 takes the Yakuza boss down and saves the kid and the dad gets reunited with him. The dad immediately goes, uh, <laughs> you know, well, now my little crime lord son is going to inherit my empire and you'll kill <laughs> you him. So I have whatever. to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, Dolph literally just brutally kills his dad in front of a kid. Yeah. Yeah, I also um, like the and, part and where the kid tries to stop his dad and the dad, like, pushes him off and all that. So there, there, there's some fun little complications there. There's a, there's a, there is some some kid violence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you what I said. Yeah. Yeah. Dolph actually hit the kid, that's what I meant, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we always respect this some the- fuck-them-kid cinema around here. Yeah, well, and then and then the, the kid's, like, the end of this movie is, like, literally the kid holding the gun up at the guy who killed his dad, being like, I'm going to kill you, and then him just egging the kid on, just being like, <laughs> yeah. good, get it over Do with, it. blow my, like, fucking brains out. <laughs> yeah, man. And then he threatens him anyway. He's like, look, you, you know, you'll be fine. Just behave yourself, and I won't come back to murder you. <laughs> He'll probably yeah, he's like, grow, grow up, up to, to be a good man. He'll probably grow up to be uh, AJ Soprano, a real fail son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the fact that the big climax of this is Dolph Lundgren murdering a kid's dad in front of him and then telling the kid to blow his brains out and then basically being like, I will come for you if you don't behave. Like he's like fucking, you know, naughty or nice Santa Claus shit. Yeah. And then the kid just sitting next to his dead dad, like crying. And then his partner, (laughs) Louis Gossett Jr. Walks in on this and sees all of the bodies that he's left. He follows the blood trail out of the building to the outside where he gets on the outside of the building, the rooftop actually. Yeah, to the rooftop where he he tears up and just screams Frank at like <laughs> the top of his lungs, cut to black. Yeah, um, and then you have Punisher going like, "I still talk to God sometimes. I'm still <laughs> waiting for an answer. The guilty yeah, will I, be I, punished." I right. ask him if what I'm doing is right or wrong. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I, all all I could think about was just stuff. like how like genuinely how like gruesome and dark that movie like ends ends up getting yeah because nobody there's no real and then, and then it leaves you there 
it's it's like everyone is still left with everything they kind of began with. Like the kid now doesn't have a father. The Franco is dead. The Yakuza leader girl is dead. Uh, uh, the Punisher is just going to continue going on his murder spree. And and Jake has still lost his friend to the, you know, <laughs> the, the abyss of evil and violence and, and everything else. So it's like, yeah, there, there's truly nothing good that happens by the end of this film. Yeah, unlike <laughs> Masters of the Universe, this could teach kids an important lesson that, you know, parents do die. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> show this one to your kids. Not masters exactly. of the universe. Come on. Yeah, they're they're gonna learn the right lessons from this one. Exactly. That, exactly. Uh, Behave, or the can, Punisher will murder you. Killing can look pretty cool when it's done on screen. Well. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's that, that's where it ends off, and maybe pivoting towards um, reductive uh, rating round. This one actually gets the the the, the four from me. I I yeah. really. Um, enjoy what Goldblatt is is doing, taking all of his skills for you know, sort of like the the rhythm of shooting and cutting, sort of you know, tangible action together, and applying it to you know something as silly as you know Frank Castle sewer base where he meditates naked to candles and fights you know <laughs> scuba ninjas and you know various other. Uh, you know, does various fights in drug trafficking docks and run down Coney Island funhouses and sh- and and shiny corporate office spaces that he eventually paints red. And you know, uh, he basically he uses like ten kinds of guns, <laughs> yeah. like shotguns and M16s. And uh, at one point, he does pull out the full out like Tommy gun, the harpoons, katanas, spears. He basically kills you know. Got it all. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and I think that this is a uh, you know again as we kind of mentioned a, a great showcase for for Dolph who even though he's doing a dead eyed stare and you know kind of like the the, the 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 deep voice with the accent with the makeup beard uh, the the fact that it's goofy and lurid at the same time and has. Uh, children being beat up and traumatized <laughs> and uh, a positive you know, just, thing around here. Yeah. It just goes in indulgent eighties <laughs> action movie mode uh, in very gruesome and kind of sad ways. And despite the fact that this is a, a low budget movie shot in Australia, it feels like a convincingly stylish American action film. Yeah. And uh, there's mood and carnage to it and gold you know he's got the vocabulary for this he for this brand of genre movie he's got it down like inside and out so um i i gotta say i think that this is uh this is one of the better lofgren vehicles and uh, lundgren vehicles i, I combined adult <laughs> yeah i like that i like word. that <laughs> uh, this is one of the better vehicles for him so i would i would recommend you know if you're going to check one out that this would uh this would be one for sure and and yeah, also top too, of the I, list. I, 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 I do, you know, think that, again, you know, Lundgren doing that kind of blank 80s action star performance, you know, does end up really working for the film. You do get the feeling that Frank is like this robotic husk that uh, only ever briefly, as Jamie said, uh, becomes excited or animated <laughs> when he's uh, d- destroying something yeah. uh, <laughs> on screen, essentially. Yeah. And I like that we actually get that image, too. It's it's really good. Um, yeah, I, I'd give it the four as well. I actually ended up watching this twice because uh, the first time... Um, just some of the cop stuff dragged it down for me a little bit, but then once I knew where it led, it worked for me. I think I did mention that, but, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, the Jake stuff became more interesting once they had that confrontation in the jail cell. I think that that was a really good scene, um, and really fleshed out their relationship and where they were at, at that point. So 
that was really good. And then really just the brutality of this movie is what sells, sells it for me. Um, this is very true to like what the Punisher I think should be. And, uh, uh, you know, you have that finale sequence with the purely red lighting in a, in a Yakuza dojo and there's samurai swords and people being pinned to walls with spears and, and Dolph Dismembered. fighting a hundred <laughs> pound ninja girl that has earrings that like cut people. And like, it's just, it's, it's very, very crazy. But I think what, uh, separates this one from the others that we've, w- that we've talked about so far with Dolph is that this one has a very consistent tone and, and it, it never feels like, uh, or rarely feels at least like it's being silly and out of place with that silliness. So, um, yeah, this this just I I think felt true to what it was trying to do the entire time, rather than stray away every once in a while. And and yeah, the brutality on this is 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 really awesome, really true to the Punisher. So four out of five for you, Ethan. Uh, you know, unlike He Man, the Punisher is an intellectual property. I have a bit of attachment to. Uh, I have I have read many Punisher comics, and I I think this does the the man Frank Castle it does him proud. And I would have, I honestly would have loved to have seen Dolph Lundgren's uh, Frank Castle interact with uh, the rest of the Marvel universe, like Namor, yeah. the, like Namor the Submariner or She-Hulk or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, it's a good movie. Love seeing him ride around on that motorcycle. Good ownage. Solid three stars. Nice. Hell yeah. Well, and um, two, I was gonna say, it's so funny. Like, did they intend to make sequels out of this? I imagine. It's such a dark place to leave like it's just like (laughs) you know his partner screaming at the top of his lungs a kid crying and they're like next time the on the punch yeah it definitely feels like that kid is being set up to try to kill frank later (laughs) also i mean this was released direct to video in the united states wasn't it yeah yeah it, 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 it they they didn't have a whole eventually i guess the new world pictures they didn't have a whole lot of confidence of it once they actually got it in it's a shame uh, okay. even though it, 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 got, it got released theatrically like overseas and it, it didn't do you know amazing but it, it also wasn't like uh, you know as as terrible as you know other uh like films masters been received like, so was yeah it more of a success than masters of the universe uh, I think financially. I don't know if critically. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Dolph, Dolph, Dolph has never had the critic class on his side. I don't think. Yeah, it seems that way. But that's good. That's a, that's a sign of a of an actor. Damn right. You know, who means something? No, uh, curiously, <laughs> it's worth noting that uh, around this time, Dolph was actually attached to an unmade Andre Zulowski film. What oh, the hell? Wow. Yeah, that never got made because apparently the the financiers were. Uh, literal criminals and financing fell through at the last minute, but it was going to be like a Vietnam war drama starring Dolph wow. and directed by Zulashki. Damn. I think that, yeah, I would have, would have loved, you know, I, I, I think Dolph's had a great career and, but I, I'd like to see him have just a couple more auteurs under his belt. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, speaking of which, that is a, that is a great, um, segue, uh, because we are, uh, going to be, as we mentioned, doing an entire month of uh, Dolph films here on, on the pod. So we, we should lay out some of those titles because we know that uh, a lot of you can will be able to have a chance to watch them in advance here. Yeah. 
But uh, next week, we're going to be back with a bonus episode over on the Patreon where we're going to be talking about uh, Craig R. Baxley's Dark Angel <laughs> from 1990, which is uh, Dolph Lundgren as a uh, Texas vice cop taking on alien drug dealers. A CD-wielding uh, alien drug dealer. <laughs> yes. Um, and directed by the guy who did one of the most underrated 90s action films, uh, Stone Cold. Oh, with yeah. Brian Bosworth. That's a banger. So... Yeah, so that, that movie is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. And then also we're going to be talking about Showdown in Little Tokyo from 1991, directed by Mark L. Lester, who uh, uh, directed Commando that Mark Goldblatt edited and also directed uh, Class of 1984, which is just one of the nastiest yeah, 80s movies I think that I've seen. So wild, yeah. Um, Still so got to check out Dolph, that sequel. Dolph do a, a, a buddy, cop com, uh, buddy cop film with uh, Brandon Lee, uh, R.I.P., and uh, learning his uh, his his Japanese roots, uh, Steven Seagal <laughs> style. So that's going to be the bonus episode next week, and then the free episode on the main feed in two weeks' time is uh, going to be back with a special guest. We're going to have uh, Cameron from the Pod About List podcast, um, where we're going to be talking about uh, Universal Soldier. 1992, Roland Emmerich. Very awesome. Uh, obviously spawned an entire franchise of films. Obviously, it's Lundgren uh, versus Jean-Claude Van Damme. So there's going to be some good ownage there. There's a big fight, climactic fight at the end of that between the two, which I won't spoil for Jamie because he hasn't seen it, but it has a, a pretty crazy uh, ending to it. Awesome. Um, and uh, we're going to be pairing that with Johnny Mnemonic. Hell by yeah. Robert Longo starring Keanu Reeves. So we're going kind of Dolph Lundgren in villain mode with uh, with that double feature sci-fi villain mode because he is the uh, the henchman for Takeshi Kitano in the Johnny Mnemonic film. Yeah, yeah, and it's then, a lot of fun. Uh, in three weeks time for the very last episode of Dolph Lundgren month for your guys' bonus episode, we're going to be talking about Silent Trigger 1996 directed by Russell Mulcahy, famously directed Highlander, awesome razorback awesome. Uh, resident evil extinction for the resident evil heads <laughs> um so we're going to be talking about russell mulcahy because dolph he, he basically worked with every low budget action movie auteur that we've ever covered on this show and uh that being said the very last one i think this is one that ethan's talked to us about blackjack from 1998 directed by john woo which i haven't seen but from what i understand is a tv movie with john woo and Dolph Lundgren, and I, I don't know what else I need. Yeah, I'm so excited. But yeah, I think that's going to uh, wrap it up for everything uh, this week. Uh, Ethan, if you've got anything to plug, this is usually the part of the show where we have you do that. Uh, well, you know, I, uh, I'll probably keep reviewing some movies for the filmstage.com. Maybe some stuff will show up at other places, too. You know, there's a lot of movies coming out. Hopefully, I'll get to review The Boss Baby, too, or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> we can only hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah just uh follow me on twitter.com slash ethan vess because if i uh write anything i'll uh, i'll retweet it and i i enjoy uh, appearing on podcasts to be honest this is a lot of fun being a a kind of a perennial <laughs> like tv guest star you know you don't have your own show but you're always uh popping up on uh, the love boat or batman <laughs> or whatever um so if you're listening to this and you have a podcast i'm i'm always uh i'm always excited to be invited on Awesome. Hell yeah. Well, thanks so much, Ethan, for, 
for joining us this yes, week and thank for you. uh yeah t- taking taking uh the dolph man seriously because uh <laughs> he deserves it, it. It's, it's it's hard it's hard to find people out there who 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 will but there's we're gonna have a lot of fun and hopefully you know we're gonna get some people to take a second look at some films that they've maybe watched before that they weren't crazy about that he's been in because i know that i've i've had that experience myself happen and i've you know had it happen for others as well yeah um and by by the very end of this we will have lots of recommendations on all of his modern direct-to-video stuff for you guys to check out <laughs> definitely because i've been i've been catching up on a lot of those as well uh, there's the, the more stinkers than than good ones i think so far from from the mid-2000s onward but you know there's definitely some some fun stuff in there and man, the, he, the man even started directing at at one point awesome <laughs> awesome uh, but yeah, that being said, I think that wraps it up for everything this week. That was uh, Masters of the Universe from 1987 and The Punisher from 1989. Uh, thanks so much for listening and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. Sock it to me. Or keep it sleazy, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>